1: Standing there alone. The ship is waiting. All systems are go. Are you sure? Control is not convinced, but the computer has the evidence. No need to abort. The countdown starts. Watching in a trance. The crew is certain. Nothing left to chance. All is working, trying to relax. Up in the capsule.
0: Send me up a drink.
1: Chokes Major Tom. The count goes on. Earth below us. Drifting, falling, floating, weightless, calling, calling
0: home. Hi everybody and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Peron and today we are going to be taking a trip into the chat. We are going to get to know William Shatner, famous uh, genre actor known for Star Trek. But believe it or not, we are not going to dwell on Star Trek. We're going to dwell on all the bizarre, great, unusual, frightening, and weird things that he's done throughout his career. We're going to talk about some of the highlights. There are highlights, trust me, they're great highlights, and there are some unbelievable questionable <laughs> choices on most forms of media that are out there that he has taken and continues to take we're going to talk about how uh, all his stuff kind of seems to be filtering into pop culture and how he kind of feeds off pop culture really and uh, we're going to be playing uh, quite a number of uh, clips of you know the best of the chat Then after that, we are going to go to our collectibles toy segment and talk about a line of toys that is uh, dear to my heart, and that is Clash of the Titans. This is a line that came out back in the early 80s to coincide with the film, a line that should have grown bigger than it had gotten. But because it's so limited, you know, it's pretty simple for people to own most of the collection, And we're going to talk about all the missed opportunities that they've had with potential additional figures they could have made, you know. And how some people are customizing them themselves and making all kinds of fantastic custom figures, you know, to go along with their Clash of the Titans collection. So let's get started with The Legend of the Shat.
2: What did I teach you?
0: You are the Duke of New York. You're
2: a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That is the horn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the force will be with you, always.
0: Today we're going to profile part of the career of an actor that's been in movies and television and music and all kinds of different programs in terms of commercials and instructional things. And it's just, he's done a lot of work. And from the genre perspective, most of us probably know him best from television and film. And I'm talking about William Shatner. Now, William Shatner, personally, (laughs) you know, I came to know him from the films first, as I started watching the Star Trek films, and at the same time watching the show, because obviously I was too young and not even here when the show (laughs) originally aired, and I wasn't even born uh, when the show originally aired. But, you know, living in New York, and uh, I remember watching WPIX, Channel 11, that would play Star Trek endlessly, you know, in repeats, and then seeing the movies, going to the conventions. I'm pretty sure I must have even seen him live at a convention at some point. I remember he was a big deal for the convention scene back in the 80s because he was one of those A-tier people that, you know, would be a little more difficult to see. And obviously, get an autograph and that sort of thing. Even back then, when you know when the autograph craziness didn't hit, you know, the per signature status that it is now to you know the hundreds of dollars. Back even then, it was kind of difficult to get your hands on a on a Shatner autograph. But it was probably later in college when I started to discover with some of my then friends, you know, the fact that this guy was popping up in the most unusual places in terms of his career. And a lot of it had started even way, 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 way back then, doing certain film roles, doing certain musical albums that are just so bizarre that, you know, you could view it as kind of like a desperate move by, you know, an artist who is trying to get work and is doing just about anything and in the process is stumbling into these Bizarre projects that, you know, he does the best that he can at it and whatever happens, happens. One of the first things I remember that popped up out of nowhere. And it is possible, I think, also that I kind of saw it in reverse. And by that, I mean, there was a point, again, somewhere in the 90s. And this is all I'm talking about college here, where we started, you know, a group of us, we started kind of like, Getting together, and this is around the time where the whole concept of geek fests were taking place for us, these gatherings, where we would watch these bizarre films, and not necessarily even watch the whole films, we would just watch clips of stuff that people were finding all over the place. Some of it from the internet, some of it even pre-internet. In other words, some of this material existed on VHS tapes that people kept you know uh, that people would gather people would copy what people would buy at conventions you know third fourth fifth generation weird 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 stuff well one of the most famous ones of william shatner is what's best known as the rocket man video however i have a feeling that the way that i got to the rocket man video the music video if you will was through a back channel of watching david letterman and he had a skit with Chris Elliott, who was spoofing Shatner. So, in other words, I have a feeling what was happening is that that Shatner video of him singing Rocket Man from some sci-fi award show. Back in the 70s, this old VHS copy of it started making the rounds, and somehow the Letterman people must have gotten their hands on it, especially Chris Elliott. So he did the spoof of Shatner doing his thing, and the spoof was hilarious. But then we got to watch the original thing, which was like, oh my god, the spoof is dead on in terms of, this is pretty crazy stuff and it is him singing elton john's rocket man wearing a tux smoking a cigarette and doing this kind of like i want to i don't know what you can call i think i don't know if it's it's i don't know if it borders into the performance art realm of things where he's singing but talking it's not rap <laughs> at least not at this stage but it is this weird thing that he does that could be possibly traced back to other stuff that he's done in the past that we'll talk about but this was probably the big one the one that a lot of people are aware of and might have seen it and the unusual thing about Shatner is that and again this is a guy who has a certain career you know he's he's an old-time actor in terms of he started back in the you know in the old days of Hollywood You know, he's Canadian, but, you know, he was in some pretty serious films originally. And then, you know, after Trek came and went and everybody kind of thought, well, maybe this isn't going to go anywhere. We're done with it. We got to move on. We have to reinvent ourselves, you know, all those actors. And that's kind of what he was starting to do. He started to do all these movies that are, some of them are just so unbelievably bad, but... He can't just kind of blend into the background. You know, we've heard so many stories of him. His personality is something that you have to really, really get used to. Because he's always, I think, thought of himself as the star of the show. When you get Shatner, he's not a bit player. He's the, the leading man, I guess, in his mind. But that doesn't mean that, you know, like I said, there's a ton of work he's done where he's not the leading man, but... We've heard, you know, a lot of stories, especially from the ex-Trek actors, <laughs> talking about how difficult he was to work with at times, and even Nimoy at times. You know, if he's had a pretty, even though they're they were friends. You know, Nimoy has passed. You know, they've had very tumultuous times where you know, if if Spock's character would start to overshadow Kirk's character. Shatner would not be very pleased about it <laughs> and and would make it known uh, you know, to everybody around them about that in, in different manners. So getting back to uh, Rocket Man, this is just, uh, you have to see it to believe it. it's he does this thing that it's kind of like, I remember the initial reaction from most people were, is is this supposed to be funny, or is this supposed to be serious? but the problem was that it's funny and it's just hilarious because it's so weird but i think he was being completely serious about it when asked about it in some interviews i think he talks about it as yeah that's that's you know i was doing my interpretation of, of the song and that's how i you know imagined it or something it's like okay well again this is something you have to see to kind of understand And I think
2: it's gonna be a long, long time The touchdown brings me around again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, no, no, no I'm a rock, it's man Rocket man Burning out his fuse out here alone And I think it's
0: The next piece be- I want to present is a video that Shatner did With State Farm Insurance, out of all things in the world, and again, this proves this man will do anything. You sign a check, and he'll come to your house. He'll do it. And he will give you 110% (laughs) of his performance. They hired him to do a safety video for deep fried turkeys. And it's kind of like an instructional video of what deep fried turkey is and how to prepare it and what not to do, you know, the fire hazards, the dangers of it, because it's an insurance company, obviously. But what's strange is that he does it, but he's doing it in this bizarre character that he kind of, I think, can kind of tap into. And it is a... It's kind of like Shatner's greatest hits bizarre mode that he goes into where he starts delivering these lines in this manner that it's like, you know, you're you're watching it and you're going, is this serious or is this a joke? And again, once again, I found this video in a reverse kind of manner. This was a video that somebody actually took this instructional video and set it to music and turned it into a song. A weird kind of remix song of him delivering these lines to a beat uh, and the song is great because it's not just a matter of being able to play somebody reading a script because he already reads the script in this bizarre manner once you add music to it it makes it sound even weirder and funnier you just have to see this thing to believe it's just it's great it's just great
1: ha. The bottle the bottom. Dingle dangle. Where's the tingle dangle Hot oil. Wet frozen turkey. Push together, mix steam, push together, mix. Steam. Pushing the hot oil and igniting on the open flame. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister tastier turkey. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister tastier turkey.
0: One of the things about shatner is that i think at some point in his career he realized that this whole weirdness that he inadvertently had generated you know through his earlier attempts at doing things different things you know career wise became a thing of its own and i think at some point he was able to start tapping into that so in other words he became aware of the weirdness and he said all right let's give people what they want. They want weird, let's give them weird. But, you know, you got to remember that, you know, he he kind of started out, like I said before, as a serious actor. And even though he had some serious roles, he did start to v- venture into the world of the supernatural. And One of the best pre-Kirk moments, if you will, in terms of, you know, once we see him playing Kirk, we get to taste a little bit of all these weird little quirks that he has as an actor. You know, you get the delivery. You know, if you watch Kevin Pollak and he'll do this whole skit about how to do Kirk how to impersonate Shatner as Kirk and he talks about the delivery of the lines and and you kind of start to see that when you start examining his older, older work that there is a specific way of him delivering lines that is almost kind of like a trademark of his particular acting style and you kind of start to see this in something as old and iconic as that old Twilight Zone episode that he did a very long time ago.
2: Hurry! He's out there! What's going on? He's pulling up one of the plants. He? Didn't my wife... There's a man out there! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I I, I, I don't know what's going on here. Will you look? Mr. Wilson, I'm warning you. Will you please... Look in
0: the name of. Well, as much as we would like to s- steer clear of classic Shatner, you cannot have this sort of a segment without including some classic TV Shatner Kirk lines. There have been so many episodes, even though, it, you know, the, the series was very short, it's only like about three seasons, but there have been so many episodes, and there's so many cool, cool YouTube clips of some of the best of Shatner star trek clips of captain kirk and it's all there it's just all there all the things that nowadays you know he can hint at you know the foundation for his unbelievable outrageous acting style is there for you to witness and let me play a little clip of it and obviously you're you're gonna see a lot of (laughs) youtube video links uh, about the
1: imposter is not to be injured use minimum force Repeat,
0: I'm the Captain imposter Kirk. is not to be injured. I'm 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 it. The next thing I like to talk about is Free Enterprise. This is a movie that Shatner did back in the late 90s. And it was a comedy about a guy and his friend who finally get to meet William Shatner and kind of become friends. Shatner is playing himself. And what's interesting about this movie is that you could kind of see almost like an official acknowledgement by him of this new type of character that he's become. He's kind of in on the joke at this point. He's no longer just a goof. You know, he's in on it. And I think this might have been the beginning of him kind of accepting You know, this type of different kind of personality that he's become. And, you know, they do have a couple of good lines for him, including an actual rap song, believe it or not, that he sings. The man will do anything. I'm telling you, I I know it's hard to believe, but he will do anything.
2: So you're going to
1: play all of the roles yourself? Well, I can't play Calpurnia. I I, I thought we'd get uh, Sharon Stone for that she actually could be a little difficult to get. And, uh, we'll uh, g- get, uh, uh, Heather Locklear. I know Heather. She'd be, she'd,
2: she'd be great. If you play both Caesar and Brutus, won't you
0: have to stab yourself in the back?
1: I've done it before. <sighs> Can't you just see him?
0: William Shakespeare's and William Shatner's Julius Caesar. Up next, we have Kingdom of the Spiders. Again, this is back in 1977. Trek hadn't really returned yet. You know, the movies hadn't gotten started yet. So he was doing, at the time, a lot of really B movies. Like, a lot of them. And this was one of the... I don't want to say best ones, but it's definitely one of the most memorable ones. Because... If you guys remember all the you know animals gone wild no pun intended animals strike back kind of you know uh movies and we talked about this before you know you have your uh, your day of the animals <laughs> Would have been a perfect vehicle for Shatner. Well, Kingdom of the Spiders is another one. It's basically a spider movie. Spiders take over this town, and you know they decimate the town. They attack everybody. It's like the birds. You know, it's the birds. It's the birds, basically, but with spiders. And he's playing the lead. He's the uh, I think he plays like a vet or something, a veterinarian who's investigating this weird phenomenon with these spiders going crazy, and. The thing about this movie is that it's not a goof in terms of, yes, it's a B-movie horror genre type of film. But he is playing it completely straight. He is playing it as a straight horror movie. But just like in any other situations, you do have, you know, the chat kind of uh, <laughs> coming through sometimes with his character. You know, there are times where he he tries to play just about every conceivable angle on a character or you know accents ethnicity you name it he'll try it he doesn't care he will do it even if he fails horribly this one he's at least playing a pretty you know straight character that he really can't mess up too much but there are a couple of good lines here and there in this movie you're
2: a funny man you won't be with your brother's wife but you take care of her like you were isn't that like buying the cow and giving the milk away
1: you don't quit pastoring me One of these mornings, I'm going to show up and start milking that
2: cow. (laughs) Well, just make sure your hands are warm.
0: (laughs) Another different kind of project I like to mention is a musical recording that he did. Now, he's done albums in the past, and they've been pretty weird albums. Again, it kind of falls under the banner of that Rocketman video that he did, presentation, song. He had done these before, which I... I'm going to talk about a few of them. And those have been these kind of things that have been kind of trailing him in terms of every now and then people find these and they're like, oh my God, can you believe this is Shatner singing this bizarre thing? Well, he's continued to do those at different stages of his career. But in 2004, he did a newer, more modern version of these kind of albums. This time around, he paired up with Ben Folds, you know. Totally, you know, professionally known musician, artist on his own. And this is something that kind of blew me away in terms of this stuff is really, really good in terms of the type of songs that he's singing. They're not entirely goofy sounding. The lyrics and the things he talks about and he sings about. Because remember, his style is kind of like a talking kind of style set to music. It's really weird. But it is kind of like these older things he's done way, way, way in the past that you just cannot categorize it as anything. It's just really weird stuff. But these are really good. And specifically one song in there called It Hasn't Happened Yet, which it is just something that, you know, it's just such a great song and it's... And it seems to be so personal to his life. You know, a lot of the songs in this album are so much, you know, what appears to be how he feels about his career and his life. There's a song called Common People. There's a song called That's Me Trying. You know, the name of the album, which is the song also has been. Again, it's this thing, you know, having to do with his career that he's kind of reflecting on it. And, you know, some of these songs are kind of funny quirky little songs but some of them are very serious and like I said it hasn't happened yet it's an amazing song there's absolutely nothing I can goof on that song it is just perfect
1: I'm afraid I'm gonna fall be at one with the mountain I whisper in the air does the mountain scale when do I feel I haven't failed Of a man and it hasn't happened. it hasn't happened.
0: it hasn't. Happened. In the world of commercials, he also went into there too as early as the 70s. He's done more current stuff, but in the 70s, you can find some of these commercials that he's done. There was a Micro World documentary from the late 70s about, you know, the new electronics, computer chip technology that's coming. And obviously, you can kind of tell that they tapped into him because... Of his Star Trek background, you know, they, you know, people figure, I guess, you know, get the start, get the captain of the enterprise <laughs> to host these things because some people are going to make the connection. And they're going to remember him by that. And again, this was before the motion picture, Star Trek, the motion picture. Once that came about, it kind of started reviving his career again. But he did that. He did also a Commodore 64 commercial, which you can kind of tell that it was similar to this other one in terms of then, you know, trying to capitalize on, on, you know, the leftover (laughs) Star Trek credentials.
1: Why buy just a video game from Atari or Intellivision? Invest in the Wonder Computer of the 1980s for under $300. The Commodore VIC-20. Unlike games, it has a real computer keyboard. With the Commodore VIC-20, the whole family can learn computing at home. Plays great games, too. Under $300, the wonder computer of the 1980s, the Commodore VIC-20.
0: But also keep in mind, there were a lot of other commercials that he did that had absolutely nothing to do with technology. So there was no Star Trek hook, you know, no technological hook into it. He did one for like a supermarket chain, which (laughs) it's, you know, a lot of actors do this. You know, you got to pay the bills. So you got to shoot these really weird things that, you know, are needed and, keep you employed hey right
1: now Loblaws is having a huge frozen food sale you can get tremendous value on over 50 frozen food items frozen vegetables frozen meat entrees frozen concentrated juices ice cream if it's frozen you can save plenty don't get left out on the cold come on in and stock up that freezer Loblaws frozen food sale another reason why more than the price is right does he work
0: here just like that, he also did commercials for Promise Margarine and car commercials, also, he was doing in the uh, all throughout the 70s. Again, this is post Star Trek. So it's a period where they're kind of forgetting the fact that he was the Star Trek guy, as opposed to the late 70s when they kind of feel that maybe he is. You know, they want people to start remembering Star Trek again because maybe they already got a heads up that something's coming. So they're starting to hire him for more technological related commercials. That's a possibility, too.
1: Cholesterol levels of many Americans are too high. But for a group of people in New Jersey, cholesterol went down. They joined in a total dietary program to reduce cholesterol. Less fats, lean meats, egg and cheese substitutes and highly polyunsaturated foods, including promise margarine promise is highly polyunsaturated the results their average cholesterol level went down down significantly and promise tastes like butter
0: promise okay now let's talk about musically what kind of started it all (laughs) this other phase of him the year is 1968 star trek is done and over And as he continues to act and do other things, one of the things he apparently tries is singing. But as I mentioned before, his version of singing is very different. He's doing very, I don't want to call them classic because it's not classical music, but it's classic rock, if you will, kind of songs. But he's doing his own version of it. Now, what's funny is that the album itself is advertised as William Shatner, Captain Kirk of Star Trek, the Transform Man, and the picture of him looks very (laughs) Kirky. It's a very Kirkish looking picture. So they are trying to capitalize on his Star Trek lore, right? You know, a few years after they already, you know, finished with the show. But the music, it is just something that it's kind of difficult to explain because as I was having the same issue before of trying to explain it in terms of it is – spoken word. It is kind of like a weird spoken word type of thing that he does. He does a combination of classic, I don't know, show tunes slash rock slash just weird, weird stuff. Serrano Diversion Act, Mr. Tambourine Man, It Was a Very Good Year, Romeo and Juliet, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. I mean, it is just weird, weird stuff. And Mr. Tambourine Man is probably one of the weirdest ones because in his delivery of of his spoken word singing, you know, he'll just go off into these acting kind of scenarios while he's singing, and it is just plain and simply bizarre. But it's, it's out there. It's out there for everyone to listen to.
1: I'm not sleepy, and there is no place I'm going to. Jingle, saying good morning. I'll come following you. Hey, Mr. Man.
2: Mr. Tambourine Man! Hey,
0: now, the other thing to keep in mind is that even though the television show was done and over with, once the movies kind of started up again, you know, he kind of came back. And he came back full-blown Kirk mode. And it's a different kind of Kirk. It's a more, obviously, it's a more, it's an older, more mature Kirk (laughs) to a certain extent. But in many of these movies, you do get classic Shatner and specifically classic Kirk. Best example would probably be Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which is considered to be probably the best of all the original Trek films. But the Shat is in full Kirk mode here.
1: Khan, you've got Genesis. But you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. You're going to have to come down here. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me. As you left her. In my room for all eternity. In the center of a dead
0: Buried alive. Buried alive. Well, just like every now and then I get surprised with something like Has Been, that album and that song that I like so much, it hasn't happened yet. Shatner has a couple of fantastic roles that he's been able to play, some of them in really big. You know, high profile movies, you know, a long time ago, and some of them as a leading star. I'm specifically talking about a movie called The Intruder. Completely serious film. There is no the Shat is not in this movie. It's William Shatner. This is a actor who is up and coming at the time. The year is 1962. You know, this is pre this is pre-trek, Shatner. This is a black-and-white movie by Roger Corman. If you remember Roger Corman, who had, you know, all these crazy movies he would come up with, you know, low-budget films. Well, this was a film where Shatner plays basically a a racist who is in the South warning people about the, the evils of integration. And again, this is 1962 we're talking about here. And just watching this movie and the kind of... Lines that he's delivering, the message that he's spreading, the hate and vile, repulsive uh, nature of his philosophy, his racial philosophy—you know—you can't help to think, "Oh, this is 1962. It's ancient history. This stuff is like, woo, black and white. You know, this happened a million years ago." Well, you know, this this type of performance and this type of subject matter. Really, really strikes a chord, you know, not only a couple of weeks ago, we had the Charlottesville incident in Virginia, you know, where (laughs) a lot of this was happening all over again. A lot of this kind of language, you know, that has been brought back (laughs) coincidentally over the last couple of months and years, but it is an excellent performance for Shatner, You know, you can tell that this guy had some real acting chops at one point before he, I don't know if you want to say, got typecast or he just maybe didn't get enough of those kind of roles, but there were those kind of roles in his career.
2: Now, you may think the problem is simply whether we're going to allow 10 Negroes to go to our schools. That's only a small part. I'm in a position to know Because the Patrick Henry Society has studied the whole thing. The real problem, whether you like it or not, is whether you're going to sit back and let desegregation spread throughout the entire South. And it's an indisputable fact that there could be no other result. The Negroes will literally, and I do mean literally, control the South. The vote will be theirs. You'll have black mayors and black policemen, the way they do in Chicago and New York already. Like, is not a black governor and black doctors to deliver your babies, if they find time, that is. And that's the way it'll be. Did you ever stop to think about that when you let
0: those ten
2: enter your school? Did you? Well.
0: Not to get too far away from <laughs> the bizarreness of Shatner's career, in 1966, he did a film called Incubus. Now, Incubus is a uh, black-and-white, artsy kind of film that is probably most, I don't want to say remembered, but recognized as it being a film that was completely... ...spoken in a constructed language called Esperanto. I have no idea what this is all about, and it is apparently something that was lost. It's a film that was so obscure, it was lost, and then somebody found a French copy of the film with French subtitles. So they were able to then kind of put English subtitles on top of the French ones. And Shatner is the, uh, you know, the leading man in this movie, and it is just a bizarre, bizarre artsy type of film, uh, which fits perfectly in the, you know, in the bizarreness of all of these other Shatner type of things. Uh, And he had to, you know, learn his lines and this constructed, you know, invented language uh, and deliver them on camera. From what I'm reading <laughs> About the reaction People did not enjoy this very much And even people who were participants In that particular language Who engaged in it Were saying something that it sounded awful Coming from these actors The pronunciations And the—and <laughs> and I guess just the general acting So it's another one of these bizarre Stops that we make along uh, You know, the filmography of William Shatner Yes,
1: don't you? <laughs> Another
0: bizarre uh, career choice <laughs> for the chat is a nineteen sixty eight western called White Comanche. And here, you know, he shot this while he was already shooting Star Trek, the television show. Shatner plays two different roles. He plays identical twins, one of them being a Comanche leader, <laughs> a white Comanche leader. And then the other guy is kind of like a cowboy. So it's, you know, it's evil Kirk, good Kirk uh, based on a Western. Uh haven't seen this one. Only seen a few clips on YouTube. It is just so bizarrely cheesy looking. You just have to hunt it on your own on YouTube. It is, it looks like outtakes from Star Trek, basically. And I know Star Trek had episodes where he's dressed up as a Native American and, you know, he's dressed up as a whole bunch of type of characters. And this looks like, like I said, this looks like bloopers from, from Star Trek. You gotta see it to believe it.
1: His liver is white, like his Yankee father. His heart burns blacker than the skin of his Comanche mother. He's white belly, like his name, the snake. Nota's brother talks like the white man he thinks he is. He's afraid to be Comanche. Eat the peyote. Drug or the devil, dream your dreams of hate. Nota's neither Comanche nor white. He's only death.
2: It is
0: because of your coming that brother stands against his brother.
1: No, it's because the snake doesn't change his skin.
0: Then you have a movie from 1974 called Impulse. How could I describe this movie? Uh, Let me just describe it this way. The working title of the movie was Want a Ride, Little Girl. (laughs) And believe it or not, that is a scene in the movie. Here, he, once again, you know, plays against, you know, not wanting to be typecast as the hero. He plays a murdering, uh, uh, possible child killer, uh, (laughs) serial killer of, uh, you know, widows. (laughs) He is just completely out of his gourd in this one. He's a guy who's, uh, kind of stalking, you know, older women to kind of kill them for their money. But in the process, he's, there's this little girl that kind of finds out who he is. So he wants to kill her and he wants to kill her mom and he wants to kill, he wants to kill everybody basically. There's a fight scene in this movie between him and another criminal that is kind of trying to shake him down who is played by the actor who played odd job in the, uh, Bond films. Shatner is at his possibly wackiest here possibly he is just angry and mean and just repugnant (laughs) so once again it's like what is this man doing with his career there's a couple of clips that are just—they're just hard to to sit through, but uh, you will get a chuckle out of them. I guarantee it.
1: How are you doing? Oh, well, pretty well.
0: Yeah, you know, it's—it's a, a challenging business. Win a few, lose a few. Well, I think
1: I'll do okay here. I think I've come to the right place. Hey, where are you going hey watch it! I think you do own this place people like you ought to be ground up made of dog food. hey you know what's in these what things that all
0: about oh. okay well then later in the 80s for the sequel to airplane airplane Two, the sequel that's the name of it uh shatner uh comes in and plays murdoch he's kind of like the uh traffic control commander on the moon and he is riffing on Captain Kirk because the lines that they're giving him are very Kirkish in term. I mean, he's it's almost like he's playing Kirk. You know, he's the commander. He's got like a a, a, a first, you know, a second in command guy. He's kind of bossing around, telling him what to do. This is all Zucker stuff. You know, Zucker Abrams airplane type of lines. So it it works really well. It's very very funny. There are Star Trek nods left and right, and he is hamming it up and it's perfect you know at this point you can kind of tell he's in on the joke you know i know i mentioned earlier that with free enterprise he was in on the kind of like the newness of him being able to laugh at himself but here he's able to laugh at star trek and that's what makes it a little different and it works it is perfect it's funny and it still holds out today commander
2: murdoch what is it lieutenant Sir, the Mayflower's in trouble. She's coming in hotter than a firecracker, sir. Their computer's down, they've lost their crew, and they're flying on manual control, sir.
1: we better get to the tower, Lieutenant.
2: We have no tower, sir. No tower? Just a bridge, sir.
1: Why the hell aren't I notified about these things?
2: Lieutenant, how would you handle this? We could
1: try ignoring it, sir. I see. Pretend nothing has happened and hope everything turns out all right in the morning. Just a thought, sir. I've considered that. There's got to be a better angle. Shh. Shh. Shh.
2: Shh. If they've lost their crew and their manual, who's in control of that bucket, Lieutenant? Some guy by the name of Ted Stryker, sir. Ted Stryker. Do you know him, sir? Never heard of him.
1: That's not exactly true. We were like brothers. We flew
2: together during the war. We were close, real close, until... Until, sir? Until that day over macho grande. Over Macho Grande, sir? No,
1: I'm afraid I'll never get over Macho Grande. Forget it, Lieutenant. It wasn't a pretty picture. Let's go. Right, sir.
0: Now, another commercial I want to mention that it's a more frequent one. I mean, he's done, you know, Priceline, and he's, he's always doing commercials left and right. But a really, really funny one that he's done not too long ago is for a Star Trek video game. And it's him sitting on a couch with a Gorn. And they start arguing over, you know, the game that they're playing... And they start fighting, and they're, you know, he's old, so everything starts to hurt, and they're moving very slow, just like they do on the clip of that episode where he's fighting the Gorn. And from what I understand, the game was pretty awful, but the commercial is really funny. You keep getting me killed.
1: I thought you had my back.
0: Uh,
1: yeah. uh, oh, not again. Beb, hold on. Hold on just a minute.
2: Okay.
0: Beb, we're both too old for this. Got kind of thing. Now, he's done other commercials as I mentioned earlier, and not only has he done them with things that have nothing to do with Star Trek and things that are very technological, but there are times where he's kind of paired up with Leonard Nimoy, for example, to do other commercials, you know, as two friends and obviously two ex-acting buddies, you know, because they were both on Star Trek. Again, kind of riffing on each other, you know, about you know their Star Trek background, more or less. And those were also very memorable.
1: Leonard, I have an idea. We can both be Priceline spokesmen. Two spokesmen. You talk about one way of booking airfare. Choose your exact flights and times from a list of low, low prices. I talk about the other way. Name your own price, save even more. Hey, a choice. Hmm. Two ways. Sounds logical, but no. But I was here first. Priceline, the best
0: choice in travel. Another thing I want to mention is a series of short little movie clip type of things that he did for the MTV Movie Awards, where he kind of recreated certain movies of that particular era with him being the lead character. And at the Movie Awards, he did a combination of two things. He did the movie clips, and he also did these little musical intros, which, again, at this point, he's just goofing on himself. His aura of being a complete wacky guy when it comes to music, he's doing these little talk-ups to these popular songs of the time, you know, but he's the one who's singing them with his spoken word style. He's singing Everything I Do, I Do For You, the Brian Adams song, You Could Be Mine, the uh, Guns N' Roses song, I Want to Sex You Up. You know, he's doing his own version of that, which is bizarre. And that's, those are the little intros that he was doing. But here's a little clip from his MTV Movie Award parody of Seven.
2: We got a box! is
1: it? Oh, you'll see. You should be very proud. I envy you.
2: Envy me? You are me. No! What's in the box? Whatever you do, stay away. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, no, play no, that no, song. No no, 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 no. Mr. Tambourine Man! Mr.
0: Timberman! No! Mr. Timberman! Now, another one of his career highlights, I would say, and I believe even he would say, is the acting piece that he did for Judgment at Nuenberg. This is a top-level film you're talking about. This was done before Trek. This was, again, around the time where he was... You know, getting his acting chops, you know, recognized before, you know, his more popular roles, obviously. And this is a fantastic film. I believe even he, on some interviews, admits that it was probably the highlight of his career so far. In terms of being able to act in a movie that was so, you know, well-received, well-done, with such a famous cast. It was just packed with, with, you know, Hollywood A-listers, left and right and the director that was also, you know, a top-notch director. And you know, it's funny how you uh, you know, you kind of see the serious Shatner here, you know, there is no goofing around. He is doing a completely straight role he plays, I believe he plays like a, a military captain, you know, that's going to be, you know, helping Spencer Tracy with anything that he needs, but it is like I said, it's a, the movie is it's a fantastic film. And again, one of those peak moments in Shatner's career.
2: Living room? Study is in there.
1: There are two bedrooms on this floor, three upstairs. Furniture is part antique, part U.S. Army. The piano is showing signs of wear and tear, but it's a genuine Beckstein. Quite a view, isn't it, sir? Yes. Uh, Senator, I really, really don't need all this. When the United States government does something, it does it right. You know that, Dan. Who used to live here? An important Nazi general and his wife, sir. Well, let's see. Is there anything else Judge Haywood ought to know? Sir, are there any questions? Yes, yes. You're West Point, aren't you, Captain? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. What's your first name? Harrison. Harry. Well, Harry, look, I'm not West Point. And all this formality kind of gets me down a little. Not to say, puts me the LEDs. Uh, uh, do you think it would be too much of an infraction of the rules if you were to call me Judge or Dan or something? Okay, Judge. We do all our shopping at the Army Commissary. There isn't enough food at the local markets for the Germans. The driver knows where the commissary is. Yeah, Here's a copy of the indictment of the case. I thought you might oh, want to look it very... Oh, I hope you'll be comfortable here, sir.
0: Captain, I think the whole state of Maine would be comfortable here. So these clips just keep coming and coming. There's so much stuff out there from the <laughs> Shatner archives, if you will. Uh, I remember when I f- first started looking into this uh, many, many years ago, there was a website called the Church of shatner And it was a goof website all about worshiping And there was like a whole thing just about his toupee in terms of how it has a life of its own and everything. It it was so funny. And a lot of those clips still exist there, you know, through that website, which is, again, it's a goof website on him. You know, this is an actor that continues to work. He continues to do really weird stuff, you know, out of left field kind of stuff. And it's... Somebody who's really comfortable in their own skin. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I mentioned way, way earlier, the man has an ego the size of a house. But if there's one thing that you could honestly say about Shatner, you know, aside from the fanboy, you know, love that we have for him in terms of his Star Trek work. And, you know, he's done so much stuff. And, you mean know, you could do an entire show just on some of these things alone. I mean, he was in TJ Hooker. He was in Rescue 911. He was in all of these shows. Boston Legal, he got, uh, you know, accolades and awards. You know, he's had comebacks, minor comebacks, but comebacks, you know, left and right. And he is a person that is very comfortable in his own skin, and he likes and takes advantage of whatever it is that, you know, his audience projects on him. If they want him to be funny, he'll do the funny. If he is unintentionally funny, he will be unintentionally funny again because he knows that people react to that and like it. There is a wealth of videos you can go on YouTube. I'm sure we just scratched the surface here because there are so many things that he's done and because he's worked in so many different mediums, you know, he's uh, all over the place and I'm sure he will continue to give us more uh, not only genre material uh, here or there, if he has any you know future involvement in any trek films or television series or anything like that or in just regular stuff that he does which he's always working or if he does some kind of little comedy thing that all of a sudden explodes on the internet because it's just so you know out and left field that is perfect for the Shad. you can collect them all you Battery's
2: not included. Just get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the six million dollar man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately.
0: Hi! I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end.
2: Some assembly required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each. One to display, one to open, and one just in case.
0: In today's collectible toy segment, we are going to talk about Mattel's Clash of the Titans line. Now, for those of you not familiar with Clash of the Titans, it was the last of the great Ray Harryhausen films. This came out in 1981. I remember I saw it here. And it might have been the first film that I actually saw in a movie theater from Ray Harryhausen. The only possible other film I might have seen was Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. But if I did, I probably saw it back in Uruguay. But Clash of the Titans was probably the first one, and unfortunately the last one that he made, that I actually got to see here in the States. The movie is, is a fun movie. If you like the old Ray Harryhausen stop-motion animation adventures, this is just one of the best It is a fun movie. You know, whenever you're dealing with either Greek or Roman type of characters and and all the mythology, you know, it is just ripe for kids. I was, let's see, 11 years old when I saw it, but I had already seen, you know, a number of the other ones. And, you know, I was a fan. I absolutely loved it. And one of the best things about it was they produced a toy line. Now, it's funny because... The network that we are members of, the IC Robots Network, that was, I remember, one of the ways that I discovered the show was that uh, they were doing a review for Clash of the Titans toys. And I was like, oh, my God, I I love Clash of the Titans. So I started listening to to IC Robots, and that's how we kind of connected and became friends and collaborators in, in the shows that we do. So to me, I remember, you know, it was perfect. You know, the movie comes out. A few toys come out, and I'm hoping more will come out, but unfortunately it didn't go in that direction. Let's go over some of the main characters that they give us. As far as action figures go, they only gave us four. Uh, now, granted, just like anything else, the initial intent was to continue. Just like we did, talked about, you know, with Battlestar Galactica that they put out this wave and then they were probably going to put out more waves because there were so many more important characters that never made it. I believe this was probably the same intent here. Now, whether it was due to the success of the movie, or maybe lack of success of the movie, or maybe it was the toy purchases. I don't know if enough people bought those toys, you, you know, to demand a secondary wave or a third wave or a fourth wave. But with what they gave you, it was not bad. And again, when it goes back to my, you know, my weird rules of collecting, in terms of I love small collections. I love collections that are only three or four or five figures long, because Once you're done with those three or four figures, you're done. That's it. You don't have to go crazy anymore hunting down the rest. (laughs) (laughs) But in this case, like I said, you have four figures. You have your main character, which is Perseus, which, you know, the movie was played by Harry Hamlin. The likeness is very, very well done. You know, this isn't Kenner, but they are sticking to the Kenner size, more or less, the three and three quarter inch. But they are uh, more muscular, beefier uh, not like overdone, he managed type of beefier, but because these characters are characters who are in the movie, you do see their muscles and you see their legs. You know, they were able to sculpt them very well, you know, for a tiny little figure. The Perseus character comes with its own accessories, which is a shield and a sword. The sword looks pretty much, more or less, like the special sword that the gods give him. So it kind of matches. And so does the shield. However, these accessories get repeated a number of times with the other figures, even though they don't necessarily match or even apply to some of these other figures. Now, the bad guy (laughs) from the film that was both an actor in makeup and a stop motion creature whenever they showed him full is Calibus. In the movie, you know, he's got a like a one foot is human and the other foot is kind of like a goat foot you're really weird looking and he's got this long dinosaurish kind of tail that comes out of his back. He's got horns and stuff. So, as far as the figure goes, they tried to replicate that pretty well. Now, the colors are not exactly perfect, if you will. The robe that he seems to be wearing in the figure is much darker than the one that you see in the movie. In the movie, it kind of looks uh kind of bluish. It's got like a blue hue to it, but for the figure, they kind of went for a dark grayish kind of look. The skin tone is pretty well. He's got like a darkish kind of brownish skin. The hair doesn't match that well either. In the movie, again, and, and this depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at the uh, stop motion model, it looks a little different than the actor. So it's a possibility that they kind of went back and forth between the two. And they, you know, they decided on a, an, an, a medium you know, in between the two. Because for the stop motion creature, he has kind of like a reddish hair. He's kind of like a ginger. But in the figure they gave him jet black hair. You could see the horns protruding right out of the front and he's got the earring and he's got that devilish looking look with the pointy ears and everything. But one of the most interesting things about this figure is the fact that they actually molded a rubbery kind of tail that comes out of the back. Now, the downside about this figure is the fact that most of the time, and I'm sure most of the people that own it loose will be missing the tail. The tail is one of the first things that breaks and you can never kind of find it. <laughs> I wonder if eBay sells them loose because when I started to reconstitute my collection, uh, I had to go and dig around, you know, for an, an eBay Calibus. And yeah, the ones with tails were way too expensive. So I went with a tailless one, which Kinda was okay if you think about it, at least for my crazy rules, because I think I'm pretty sure the one I owned, I had broken the tail, so he was a tailless Calibus. Now, the other problem with Calibus is the fact that because he has that hoof for his right leg, it is so difficult to make him stand upright. He doesn't have that second foot to give him that proper balance, so it was always kind of difficult to make him stand, you know, upright. As far as the figure went. Now, with accessories for Calibus, as I mentioned earlier, they did give him a sword also. Even though he doesn't really have a sword in the movie. In the movie, he has this whip. And then, in a certain part of the movie, he loses one of his hands and he attaches a uh, uh, like a small little trident to his hand. So he's got this knifey looking thing. But they didn't bother with that. What they did was they just added another sword exactly like Perseus' sword. Which... Again, doesn't really make too much sense, but at least they give you something. Now, one thing you could do, and I'm actually thinking I should do that because somewhere in this house and somewhere in one of my boxes, i probably have an old Indiana Jones figure whip. Maybe I can take the whip and put it in his hand because that would be a great accessory to have on him. You know, if you're into customizing, you could cut off one of his hands and make a tiny little trident from some other leftover parts of toys. You know, you could do some serious customizing with uh, with Calibus. Uh, With Perseus, it's a little... Let me think about it. If I remember right, there's a scene when after he fights Medusa, he's wearing like a red robe, I think. Not just a white little tunic, you know thing that he wears, but an actual red robe. So you could attach a red robe to him if you want. That wouldn't be too bad. That would kind of work. But let's move on to our next one. Tallow. He is the lead guard that helps Perseus on his mission. His likeness is not that great. The hair on his face is a little too dark, I think, based on the movie. On the movie I think he had kind of like brown hair and brown beard. But here they they, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it makes him a more of a generic a character so you can maybe you can army build with those it's possible maybe that was their intent but nevertheless the sculpt is awesome it's a great great sculpt now one of the things you have to notice is the fact that it is possible that one of the reasons why some of these sculpts look similar is because they reuse certain parts. So, for example, the arms could most likely have been the same arms as Perseus's arms, except that they color the uh, gauntlets that he's wearing, maybe a little different color or something like that. Yeah, same thing with the legs, you know, the way that the, the joints between the top of the thigh and the crotch area, where, where the joint meets looks a lot like the same one perseus has because again it's, it is possible they've been reusing the molds of certain parts this way they only have to mold the chest and the head the rest of the body can just remold it and repaint it you know give them a different color boot possibly or a different color you know bottoms and that sort of thing and that's it now His accessories, he has a shield, which makes sense because in the movie he does have a shield, and he has a sword. But again, the problem is they gave him the same shield and the same sword that Perseus has. So, as far as continuity goes, it doesn't exactly match, you know, movie accuracy. But, you know, at least it's something. You could have imagined that in the future they might have been able to introduce other lines where they might have given you different accessories that you can then kind of mix and match with these figures. Now, the last figure on the line is Charon. I think that's how it's pronounced. Sharon? Sharon? Karen? Not Karen. (laughs) Sharon? Anyway, this is the boatman. The skeleton boatman that... ...takes them across the river into Medusa's lair. And he's kind of like that robed skeleton that's rowing the boat... ...and they they give him the coin, you know, the, the gold coin to make them go across. Again, unusual figure because of the fact that they gave him a sword. The character never carries a sword, uses a sword. They gave him a sword. Okay, fine. This way the kids, I guess, could play, you know, fight with them and that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I guess that makes... it you know, it's better than nothing. But they could have given him a staff because he is rowing the ship with this very... Long staff. So, you know, you figure just a plain old cylinder wood looking thing, you know, they could have done that. And again, this is one of those accessories that we could say, you know what, I'll I'll just do it myself. I'll go and find some other old uh, leftover toy action figure uh, accessory and then I'll modify it and let him hold that instead. That's okay. The figure itself, because it is a completely robed figure, you don't have separate leg articulation you have separate arms no head articulation either it is all one piece because of the hood and the bottom part is one solid piece that you can kind of sit and stand but you cannot individually move the leg areas you know in two different directions it's all one piece now speaking of customs let me mention one more thing I found a page a web page called clash of the titans by Joshua Izzo CC 36 this guy did These unbelievably amazing (laughs) Clash of the Titans figures, all of them custom, pretty much the type of stuff I was just talking about. Let me go through a few of them. He did a Calibus that has the proper coloring, uh, not only his robe, but he kind of adjusted his arm. He has a secondary one that has, like I said, that triton on the hand and the whip. He has a Zeus that looks like it might be an Anakin Skywalker body with a head of a, I don't know where the head came from, but it's a, it's a white bearded man's head and the, the whole body's painted white, which is perfect. He has an Andromeda, which again, I don't know where it came from but it matches. It's just unbelievable. Eamon, he got him to do, he got a, uh, for Amon. he got a uh, Obi-Wan figure and gave them all these different paint jobs and robes uh, to make them look like the old man's sidekick. He also does the red robe that I was talking about before. He modifies Perseus's sword, so it's a little pointy sword and more gold colorish. I think he just got a completely different sword out of somewhere. He has a boo-boo. He I don't know if he got it from somewhere or carved it out. Uh, He's got a helmet, you know, for the invisibility helmet. And these could have been, you know, sold completely separate. Here's one that's really, really cool. He took a mold of Perseus wearing... A helmet now the helmet if you think about it he could be using the helmet from tallow you know they could have been remolded and put on on perseus's head but what he did was he created a mold uh using translucent slightly white plastic so that it looks like it's invisible so that's your invisible version of perseus which is it's great it's genius you know how he did this he made a medusa Which is completely unrecognizable in terms of I don't know where you get those parts. And it has a removable head. So kind of like the way she dies, you can kind of see the red of her neck. And Perseus can hold the head up in the air like he does against the Kraken. Which is so cool. He got a two-headed dog, somehow. And he got uh, at least two scorpions. Giant scorpions, uh, you know, to fight. And he actually made Medusa's lair... A playset where you have the columns and you have a tallow, a kind of figure, all painted gray as if he's turned to stone. Again, absolutely marvelous. I'm going to include a link uh, to this page because it is just so amazing the way that he did these uh, custom jobs. Now, what they also introduced was accessories, if you will. You know, if this was sci fi, you would have a ship or a playset or something like that. Well, here, what you had was like your next level of affordable <laughs> toy that you could buy is Perseus, the winged horse. Now, the Perseus horse is, is very well done. Not a lot of detail in the face because it's all one big white horse. So they didn't really bother to kind of color the eyes or do anything with the mouth, even though it is a white horse. And in the movie, you know, he is... White, but it's kind of li- slightly yellowish, you know, slightly tannish. You know, it's got some color to it, depending on what's hitting it, you know, light-wise. But I am surprised they didn't give it just a little bit of something in the eyes or the mouth or the nose even, you know. Or the ears, you know, give them a little highlight, a little weathering. But no, that's what they went. And you could take Perseus and kind of prop him on top of the horse so he can kind of ride the horse and that sort of thing. So that was kind of neat. I think, I'm not entirely sure, but I think I might have had the horse at one point and the other only accessory at that time that was for sale was the higher price end one which was the large kraken now i honestly don't remember the kraken ever seeing it in a store i just don't and it's one that completely completely i missed and uh, nowadays it's just way too expensive it's a large large figure it's I think it's about a foot and a half tall at least. And it's got that long tail that you never see in the movie. In the movie, you only kind of see him from the waist up when he comes out of the water. You do see the tail when he's kind of swimming, but it's very brief. And you really don't see it in relations to the rest of the body. But here, you know, once you have him up, it's a pretty beefy big plasticky, big character, you know, with the four hands waving around in the mouth and all that stuff. So yeah, that is a nice, nice large one to have. I do remember also the art on the cards. They were very well drawn art. And I, you know, I am a fan of art on cards, you know, even though, yes, I do love the, you know, the Star Wars original cards designs when, you know, they did the, the actual uh, film stills of the characters and that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I do love that. But there is something, you know, for artist renditions of characters. And I did notice it, I remember. And I mentioned it, I think, when Force Awakens came out. And uh the card style for that first wave, and, and I think the following waves, it was a very, uh, you know, movie poster-esque kind of style for the art. And that I really, really loved. And I actually researched it and found out, you know, it was this... Advertising company, I think, that uh, was hired to come up with the art for the uh, for the cardbacks, which is like, oh my god, that's amazing that they actually have to go out. house to find uh, artists to be able to draw these things i figured that you know a company like hasbro would have them all in-house and you know but no that's how it works they go out and they you know they hire third-party uh you know vendors to do some of this work well for clash of the titans uh like i said if you ever see the card backs you know you could see them in, in ebay or on the internet you'll see a whole bunch of them mattel used these very nice like i said poster looking drawings of the characters and they're very very nice now The intent, I'm pretty sure, was to eventually, you know, do a second wave, do a third wave, you know, whatever, something like that. I don't even know if they even had anything in mind as far as which, you know, could be the next ones. But knowing how many characters this movie had, it is conceivable that you could have, you know, most of the bad guys, Medusa, for crying out loud. That would have been such an amazing action figure to have the full-blown medusa that would have been a pretty big one because she's had he's got a tail too so it's like that would have been a big figure princess andromeda you know that's the one of the good guys even though i understand that even back then action figures were kind of mainly targeted for boys so they kind of try to stay away from too many female characters but she's the love interest of the whole movie you know so you gotta have her too as far as bad guys the witches you could have the witches you know, those are kind of, uh, that could have been like a three-pack of figures, you know, if they wanted to kind of mix and match a little bit with three-packs. Okay. Zeus, you know, the main god, he was a big, big character, super famous actor, and you could kind of have, you know, in that wave, maybe you could do a couple three-packs also of some of the other gods, so that would be cool. Amon, you know, uh, Murgis uh character, he's, a, again, another secondary character that you could use. And he might be a, a possible way of giving you the owl, because, you know, how can you package the owl? Because he's so small, he would have to come as an accessory, I think. If you want to make him, you know, size-wise in proportions to the action figure, he would have to come as an accessory. So, the trick would be to kind of pair them up with another figure, possibly a figure that you might be afraid might not sell too well. This way you can get two of them, you know, like a smaller type of figure, that sort of thing, to kind of get people to buy. Oh, you know, here's two. Let's buy them. You know, you could have made a th- another three pack of of some of the other uh, soldiers that go with uh, with Perseus, you know. Could have done that too. As far as larger creatures kind of like you did with pegasus you could have done the, the two-headed dog that attacks them in medusa's uh, lair could have done the um the scorpion the scorpion would have been good that's a nice big one you can have a, you know you can stage a fight with there were probably a lot of possibilities of uh you know so many different things they could have redone some of the characters uh for example so they could have done a perseus with the uh, helmet you know the invisibility helmet that he wears sometimes. They could have done that. Uh, they could have done a second Calibus, like I said, with the hand, with the removed hand, you know, with a detachable hand that you could then switch it for, uh, for the for that little trident he has. Oh my God! They could have done the uh that big giant bird that takes Andromeda, you know, over the uh, over the swamps. You know that would have been a really big one <laughs> to do. I don't know how how smart that could have been, but hey, could have done that. But, unfortunately, like it happens so many, many, many times, like I said earlier, either because of the movie not making enough money, or the toys not selling enough, they kind of put the kibosh on the whole thing at that point, and that was the end of Clash of the Titans. So... If you are interested in those figures, if you still have them, great. If you don't, you want to look for them, they can show up on eBay sometimes. Not outrageously priced unless you're looking for minty, minty, minty figures. Obviously, if you're into the carded collections, that you're going to pay some serious bucks. But the loose and not great condition ones are out there. I have picked up a few of those. I could repaint some of them a little bit to touch them up. I probably will do that one day. But you never know. Some, some of the other ones might show up here or there. Um, the other thing you could also do is, you know, if you're into customizing, you could try to make some of the other ones, you know, you have the body of Tala so you can maybe change the head and modify them to be a different soldier. You could, you know, maybe you could carve out the facial hair and make them, you know, smooth so he could be a different person. You know, there's a lot of things you could do. It's just a matter of being able to find all those parts because you got to remember the three and three quarter inch figures and all the different companies that use those proportions, it is possible that you could take even old Kenner Star Wars figures, you know, something like a Kenner Star Wars figure and kind of, Readapt them to be able to use other things. I know, for example, some people have used—I think—Perseus's arms to be able to do a Luke Skywalker from Dagoba while he's training. You know, the the short sleeve, no sleeve Luke. They—I think—some people have been using old Perseus's arms. So you could do—you can kind of mix and match in that way. Not only to go in the Star Wars direction, but you could go in the in the Clash of the Titans direction. You know, you might be able to make some of those figures I just talked about by kind of cannibalizing other lines but yeah the only problem is that because this is so specific this is you know roman greek mythology so where could you find figures that kind of go in that direction you know that's the challenge especially robes and stuff like that so it could be done it all depends on how you know how crazy you get with your collection but Like I said, I was able to pick up, you know, these first uh, four figures after I had lost them for so many years. And you never know, I might be able to pick up a Pegasus, uh, you know, one day. But I doubt I'll ever get a Kraken because those are so unbelievably hard to find. And the ones that are out there are super expensive. So good luck (laughs) on your toy runs and your eBay purchases. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. Our William Shatner segment is something that I've been thinking about for so many years. And every time I am like almost ready to start another piece of video pops out of somewhere or some musical performance pops out of somewhere that completely floors me. But it was like, you know what? We have to get this over with. We have to do it because there's so much stuff out there. And the other thing about this particular segment is is one that we can revisit it again in the future. Because not only does he continue to do these very unusual films, television shows, musical performances. You know, he continues to do these things. But there are so many more of the older things that he's done in his career. Game shows, guest starring in movies, television shows. I mean... There is an endless supply of material in YouTube, uh, you know, if you're looking for anything from the chat. So, it is definitely one we will continue to explore in the future. And I also hope you enjoyed our Clash of the Titans collectible segment. You know, this is a wonderful, wonderful line. And, you know, it's so nostalgic. And it's one of these kind of Holy Grail collections that little by little... You know, you never know. I might be able to pick up some of my other Clash of the Titan collectibles that I'm still, you know, in the hunt (laughs) looking for. So on behalf of everybody here at GeekFest Rants, thank you for listening. And we will see you here soon at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody.
2: Provide him with suitable weapons, weapons of divine temper, a helmet, a shield,
1: a sword. Find and fulfill your destiny. The myth, the magic, the mystery, the majesty.
2: Destroy Argos!
1: Let loose the last of the titans. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents Clash of the Titans The Good The Evil The Danger The Daring How may a mortal man face and defeat the Kraken? Clash of the Titans The Combat The Courage The Splendor The Spectacle, Clash of the Titans, starring Harry Hamlin as Perseus, Judy Balker as Andromeda, Burgess Meredith, Maggie Smith, Ursula Andress, Claire Bloom, Sean Phillips, Flora Robeson, and Lawrence Olivier as Zeus. Before history, beyond imagination,
0: Clash of the Titans. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfestrants.
2: I don't know what we're yelling about!
0: Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone. Copyright 2017. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long.